Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. I'm so glad you're joining me because I have another wonderful conversation in store for you. And as you know, this show is all about having uplifting and transforming conversations. I really love doing The Love Code because it's an opportunity to stay inspired, uplifted, to open our hearts, to be transformed, and uh, mostly to be reminded of the great power that we all exist with in us. So thanks for joining me, and we're going to be exploring our mothers. We're going to be exploring toxic mothers, and we're looking at it from a man's point of view. So it's a son's guide to healing and moving on with my special guest today, Guy Akiri. Before we go there, I just want to welcome anyone who may be listening for the very first time, and I do encourage you to opt into my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman. You can uh, just join there, and uh, all these great conversations will be sent to you, and there's other information and opportunities that I like to offer my community. So that's if you go to drcherylselman.com and uh, join my community there. If you'd like to get the archive shows on Facebook, you can like me over at What Women Must Know, and I'll say that again, What Women Must Know, which happens to be the name of the other podcast that I do on Progressive Radio Network, and that's every Thursday at 4 p.m., but if you like me over at What Women Must Know, then I post all of my shows, The Love Code and What Women Must Know, so all the archived interviews are readily available on my Facebook page as well, so either way, you will be able to listen to these great conversations. And let's get into my conversation with Guy today. So, with a PhD in curriculum and instruction, Guy Curie is uh, a, uh, a coach to teachers and school administrators, writes and edits curriculum guides for corporations and other organizations, leads men's retreats, and teaches Spanish to students young and old. Guy realized his adult successes and dreams in spite of the tragedy and pain he had to overcome growing up with his mother's world, what he calls Hazel World. His youth was limited by the mental illness and dysfunction of those around him, including verbal, emotional, and physical, and the heartbreak of losing his entire family of origin within nine years, sister, father, mother, and brother. Born out of deep commitment to truth, grace, and love, God believes it is his calling to help others, especially adult men who were or are being traumatized by a toxic mother. He is committed to helping others heal and enjoy a life of respect, dignity, love, and compassion. Wow, we have a really you know, in-depth, heartfelt conversation in store for you today with my guest, Guy Arcuri, and his uh, willingness and openness to share his journey with us as well. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Guy to the show today. Hello, Guy. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, um, family of origin is so profound. And, you know, as a psychotherapist myself, having explored 
my family of origin and seeing the impact of that early, early, early childhood imprinting and programming, I know that unless we look within and address and commit to a healing path, that those early programs, especially dysfunctional ones, I would say, haunt us for the rest of our lives. They keep reoccurring. It's like we are recreating that unresolved experience and hurt and wound over and over again, and it certainly impacts every aspect of our lives. So your work sounds so profound and so important, and I'm glad we're talking about this in the context of understanding men's relationships with women. So what I want to start off with saying is thank you for your courage to not only bring this information out into the world, but the the hard work that it obviously took you for your healing journey, to be honest, and to address the wound. So um takes great courage, Guy, and I want to acknowledge you for that. I, I appreciate it. I, I, it, I started uh, one book, and it turned out to be very dark, and I thought, you know, that's not the kind of person I want to be. I want to help other people. And so I just changed direction and said, I wonder how I can help others out of this situation and not really have to suffer as much as I did, for example. So so let's, uh, let's start by having you share a bit of the journey that you have been on and your experience uh, from childhood and, you know, and, and then the, the journey to healing. Uh, and, and so I think I can really start with just the story of I really believe that, like you were talking about, we do need to look inside, but I, I really think that 50% of the abuses coming at us, uh, or, or rather, I think there's a sort of 50-50 relationship. It's what's coming at us, but it's also how we process it how we internalize it. And I, I realized even in my late 20s that I didn't really have much of an ability to look that introspectively. And I needed therapy and I needed help and I needed guidance and I needed mentors. And so I realized that my mother was abusive to me, but she was also loving. And to the outside world, she was pretty great. But how I internalized it kept me on a toxic pattern. And so as I left my home, uh, not totally, not running away, but I left my home at 18, really deciding I never want anything to do with my family. And, uh, but I really didn't have a plan. And so I didn't have a plan to heal. I didn't have a plan for my life. I just wanted out. And so did my brother. And so when, we, uh, when I moved to North Carolina, it was for good. And I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. So I, I took the route, and, and I, I mentioned this in my book, that I think there are pivotal moments when people, particularly men, decide, wow, I don't know what to do with this toxic stuff coming at me. And we make really rash, impulsive decisions. And mine was just to leave home and get as educated as I could and never really interact with my mother's world. And 
So I did that, and it worked out pretty well. I mean, I got a PhD. I got tenure at a university. I love teaching. I have a, an amazing wife, two children. You know, I have great friends, and I really have healed to the point where I can help others. And so, uh, but it, it took a lot of work. So that's kind of my story. Well, that's a bit of your story, but I think it leaves most of us intrigued because, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, I, I really like to know, I, and I think it's instructive to go into that early childhood trauma story of what actually what happened to your mother. What was it that your mother was doing? What was her pattern and her diagnosis? And what did so, you, yeah. you know? How did how did it impact you? And what did you have to learn? to heal. Because I want to just say that um, because we're talking about men, I think it's really important to get into a bit more of the understanding of what those early mother relationships, or it could be father, and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the term toxic is used a lot. I like to use wounded, wounded, but it just seems like a better Mm -hmm kinder words than toxic, but anyway, it's dysfunctional, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> however yes. you want yes. to label it, right? So, yes. so are, are, you, are, you, are you willing to share a little bit more about that? Sure, sure, and, and I think uh, in the process, let me say there, there's two sort of guiding principles here that I discovered later in life, but that were really at play in my, in my childhood, and one is that I really believe and I discovered uh, by reading this amazing book called Bold Love, uh, that we all live our life expecting life to turn out the way we want. And we create these rules for how, they, how people ought to live. And, and so it only becomes toxic when we impose those rules onto other people in inappropriate ways so that they come through for us. And that characterized my mother's life. And when she then turned and did the same thing to me and imposed her set of rules onto me in a toxic fashion, then I just internalized them and became toxic myself. And so I'll get into that later on if you want. But uh, so for me, the definition of toxicity is that, but is just imposing that rule to live by in an inappropriate way. And my mother grew up in a, in, a nightmare of a childhood. Her father was super abusive. I mean, even when I was with her the last six months of her life, while she was terminally ill, she was afraid of her father. And, and he beat her. He, and she ended up taking the beatings for her younger siblings so that they would not be affected. And her mother literally sat down and read magazines while it was going on. And every one of her siblings moved away when they were 15 or 16, never ever to go back to that household. So fast forward, she gets married to to a guy and she wants to protect us from all of those things, but she she's created her own rules to live by, which are, I'm going to protect my children. My children can only be this way. We can only, you can only address me in this way. Respect is shown that way. And so without her having a plan to undo all of that toxic woundedness, she really took it out on us verbally and physically and emotionally. Uh, and it was pretty bad. You know, we, we never knew what the truth was. Uh, 
we were expected. I, there's a story I say that, for example, we would be beaten if we called her anything but mother. We would just be beaten. Sorry, that's not how you address people or respect them. Or if she called us from within the house, like, hey, guy, would you come here, please? And I said, huh, or just a minute or something like that. I would be grounded for weeks, just grounded, just because that's not how you show respect or do your family job or participate in a family. And, you know, those sorts of intense abuses just, you know, I didn't know any better. I just thought that's what everybody, you know, lived with all of their life. And so as they accumulated and as I grew to sort of become aware of those things more metacognitively, and more, you know, of a, of a heart nature, I realized, wow, there's something really wrong with that. And so I didn't have the skills to address it. I just knew there was something wrong with it. So I, uh, I can get into some more specific abuses. I mean, some of the stories are funny. Some of them are tragic. Uh, but in all of that, well, she really had her own idea of the way life needed to work out. And when it didn't work out that way, we paid for it. In, in big fashions. So. so it sounds like from what you were sharing that your mother, who was so severely abused, became the abuser in her relationship with her children. And she took on that role, which is her programming, right? That was her programming. Mm-hmm. Abuse is what she knew, and she knew it well. And that mm-hmm. was what then she acted out in her family dynamics like she became that father abuser um whether it was physical or whether it was emotional mental but it's you know it's that wound that deep deep abused child that has doesn't doesn't like you said you know that you get programmed you don't even know Mm -hmm. and i'm sure she didn't even know there were other ways to be did she do you feel your mother had remorse when she did these things or it was just the way it was supposed to be and uh, you know, we were able to, we were really able to reconcile. She became terminally ill and she asked me to care for her. She had really become estranged from my brother and she was actually afraid of him. And so she asked me to be with her for her last six months. And, and I said, yes, willingly, I, because I really believe I had healed. I mean, it was uh, four years ago. And and so I really believe I was okay enough to say yes. But Remorse, I don't know, but I think accepting of the fact that I was okay with it and that I was moving on with my own life. And that's why, that's the title of my book. It's a a son's guide to healing and moving on. You know, the best gift we can give our parents, and this is what I learned in counseling and with a great mentor, is the best gift we can give our parents is to live our lives well. And that's it. And not, not to live it for them and not to live it not well, but live it well. And so uh, I think she realized that I was living my life well once I was that close to her and what her things were. But, you know, she, she, even in those last six months, you could tell the rules to live by that she had never really considered, that she tried to take the beatings for her siblings, and then she married my father, who was very, very dependent. He was very... Uh, he didn't really know how to do anything but work. He didn't know how to, you know, 
be emotionally supportive or cook or anything. And so she took care of him and then she took care of us and then she took care of uh, my sister's children because my sister uh, was bipolar and made a lot of poor decisions. And she raised my sister's kids and then, you know, my father was sickly. And in those last six months, she would just weep and say, all my life, all I did was take care of someone. And that to her was life. And, and I tried to make it so that she didn't have to care for someone and she couldn't do it. She couldn't not take care of me when I was at her house caring for her to die. Uh, you know, she, she just, that was her life was, I will care for you and you will validate me for that. And so even in her lament, she couldn't really come out of that. So, so, oh, well, thanks for sharing, you know, um, um, you know, I mean, we all, we all have our family of origin dysfunction, right? Some more intense Mm -hmm. than others, but it's part of the human, I would say, spiritual journey to start off, Uh, you know, uh, and, and as we get more aware um, and we bring in we have parents who are more aware who have done their healing and therefore can parent their children in a more conscious way. And I, I do believe you have to do your own healing in order mm-hmm. to be able to consciously parent a child because whatever is unconsciously hidden away you know, what we don't want to look at is still energetically present, which I do believe that's communicated. So kids pick up all sorts of information verbally and non-verbally, consciously and unconsciously. They're so sensitive, right? So they're picking up whatever Mm. we may be suppressing, not wanting to look at, and then in many ways act out. So they become Mm -hmm. these mirrors. So this work that we're talking about is so profound and so liberating at the same time and transformative. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is the way to have successful marriages, successful relationships with your children, with other people. And of course, people at work just act out our family of origin as well. So we are meeting our family everywhere we go. And it's not mm-hmm. always pleasant until we get to the place yeah. where you did, you know. You realize you needed yeah. help. And, you know, I was very grateful that early on in my counseling and help, I, I was associated with this idea of bold love. And that's the other sort of definition that I was talking about prior. Uh, I, I have this definition of love called bold love. And it it really is a filter for me, a measurement of whether or not I'm still in the healing process. And, you know, what, of all of the sort of rules that you can reinvent and become a virtuous person, ultimately you can't heal outside of the, the parameters of loving others well. And so I, I really try in my book to clarify that and in my, in my, you know, speaking at conferences and things, but, this idea of love or bold love is that when we choose to love someone, we 
we need to proactively move toward them in a way that restores them to a better relationship with themselves or with you personally or me or with others or with their God. And as we move through life, if we're not doing that, we're not loving. We're not re- if we're not leaving a path of restored relationships as we try to love and live our life, then we're not really, you know, living a life, I think, that is, uh, that's going to be transformative, like you said. It's going to be damaging. And so we need people in our life to tell us we're not loving. We need, you know, some good uh, outside, you know, input uh, and some healthy input. We need a lot of things, but ultimately we need to know whether or not we're loving others well. And so, you know, and that, that that really informed a lot of the decisions I made. For example, not to go to my parents' house because when I went to my parents' house, all she would do is to really bash my children or the, my wife, or she, they would bash me in front of my children and my wife. You know, and I'm like, really? Is this, uh, you know, this is not you know being productive at all? And it started to really bother my my daughter. You know that my mother just felt like we were spoiling her and would make it be known, for example. And her toxicity just came out in calling my daughter a spoiled brat right in front of her and in front of me. And my daughter would just look at me like, what am I supposed to do here? And so that's not restoring anyone to a better relationship. And I just figured, you know, for me, the decision was just not to put my daughter through that. And so I didn't. So when we talk about toxic mothers, uh, can you give us uh, an understanding, uh, because this has been so much of your focus, you know, how does that play out? If, if people are listening and wondering, you know, if there are men listening, wondering if their patterns are the result of unresolved issues with their mothers, or if there are women listening, wondering if what they may be doing or maybe what their husbands or, or children, you know, mm-hmm. in order to really, to really grasp what this pattern is and the dynamics so people can become aware and then begin healing so they can have more successful relationships. What would some of these patterns look like, Guy? Excellent question. And I think we need to preface it also with, you know, men or people who want to answer that question have to really look also at their ability to see these things and reflect on them and they also need to own how they respond to them. Uh, and so and we're not in the business of blaming our mothers, and that's really a, a big point in my book is that we're not here to blame our, our mothers. We're here to heal. And so, uh, you know, and, and for me, the, the idea of toxic is just an umbrella term for a lot of different abuses, some really egregious and some not. Uh, constant criticism, controlling behavior, and by the way, if you want hilarious stories for each of these sort of characteristics, I can give them to you. But constant criticism, controlling behavior, guilt-tripping, manipulation, uh, humiliating, humiliation, invalidation of your emotions. This is a big one uh, for me. Uh, for example, when my mother would constantly invalidate my emotion, you're not feeling that way, or you're not allowed to feel that way. And... It, I realize now, still today, even after counseling, I mainly live in the moment 
without being aware of how I'm feeling because I wasn't allowed to feel. And so that, that idea of my mother invalidating my emotions, I internalized as, well, then I'm not going to have an emotion and I'm just going to, you know, react passive aggressively after the fact. And, and I have to own that. And so that, that's another one, invalidating your emotions, uh, being passive aggressive. Uh, my mother was classic. Uh, and disrespecting boundaries. And uh, one, one that I think my mother did very well is she, uh, some people call it triangulation, some people call it one-sided relationships, where she, she tries to manipulate you by either siding with you only and excluding everybody else or siding with somebody else and excluding you. And, you know, then you feel like the outsider or you feel like, there's nobody else in there. Uh, you know, my mother used to do that with my sister. Uh, she would criticize m my parenting. I found this out from my sister. She would criticize my parenting in front of my sister, and she would criticize my sister's parenting in front of me and said, you know, Lisa just doesn't know how to parent her children, and she started, and she would criticize her. And so I would feel this one-sidedness, like, oh, well, maybe you think my parenting is good then. You know, but no, she's doing the same thing to my sister, and she's just trying to get you know, that sort of edge. Um, you know, there's others like gaslighting or blame or uh, playing the comparison game. You know, uh, my mother was classic of saying, well, your brother doesn't think that or your sister doesn't think that. Why do you think that I'm this way or whatever? And marginalizing or scapegoating or stonewalling to me are, are, are also really, you know, if we can just set somebody out apart and marginalize them, you just are the black sheep of the family, or it's all your fault, nobody else's scapegoating, or, well, I'm not sure I even want to deal with you right now and just stonewall, you know, reacting or giving any emotion or attention to anything. And those are really, to me, indicators of, toxicity in general for and it's kind of a combined research effort to put all those behaviors together so let me ask you this question is um, having a, a dysfunctional mother different than having a dysfunctional father um, it's an intense question I've, I've actually never been asked that uh, and I don't I don't mind talking about my father he was very adulterous, and you know it, it added to my mother's uh, extreme toxicity. You know, he she knew he was adulterous, and all they did to get get over it is to move to another city. I, I went to three different kinder uh, first grades, for example, uh, because my father was having multiple affairs, and they just wanted to get rid of rid of that and go somewhere else. Uh, and and you know, my father was very emotionally unengaged, but my father told the truth. Uh, I know he was adulterous and, that, and he was lying, I know, but when asked, he told the truth and my mother did not. And so for me, it wasn't a, a, an, a difference between mother and father is a difference between, I would get a straight answer from my father, you know, should I have premarital sex, you know, and he would just tell me what he thought and that was it. But my mother, on the other hand, you know, had a very different approach. And I never knew whether, it, it, to this day, I never 
knew that my mother was telling the truth most of the time. So. And and how uh, now as you when you left home at eighteen and started on your uh, journey of discovery of yourself and your healing. Mm-hmm. So what did you what what did you embody in that? initial programming that you were discovering was showing up in your relationships. You know, when did you first get that um, awareness that there was healing needed and saw how this family of origin was playing out in your relationships? What, you know, what was, you know, what was that like? Give us a, you know, if you can, maybe an example of how you were carrying this programming. I can, and that is the most amazing, insightful question uh, ever. Uh, so I, could t- I can answer it very specifically. So I got married when I was 20, and that was part of my plan to leave. It's just, you know, I had really had a, a very, uh, I don't know what the word is, not virtuous high school career of, you know, dating and relationships. And uh, I, I decided when I went to college that I was going to, date one person and marry them. And that was it. And I met my wife. And <laughs> when we, when I was, when I was 20 and she was 22, we got married. And, um, that's not the, the point, but the point at which I, I knew is that she and I grew up a lot, you know, just being married and that was okay. And, but it wasn't until we started experiencing really intense infertility when I wanted to have several children, uh, did, did my toxicity come out? Did, you know, I was demanding of so many things, the way things should be, the way my boss should treat me, how I could have time off when we had to go to New York for experimental infertility treatments, you know, and all of these things just, I realized why am I this outraged over just a problem that I can handle? You know, what's the worst case scenario? Childlessness. That's it. But for me, life, this sort of rule to live by that I talk about is I must have children by this time. I must be a parent this way. I must have availability, you know, for my children this way. And, you know, none of that was happening. And so my life just spun out of control. Uh, at work with my friends, with my wife, and I was just not a very nice person uh, on many levels. So, off, off, we <laughs> so, went to counsel. We went to counseling. We went to counseling for for infertility, and my my our our therapist immediately said, "Guy, dude, you need some extra help here." <laughs> and so my my wife is a real rock solid human being. She's just amazing. So anyway, we. Uh, we sort of broke off. And the next pivotal thing, if I can mention it, is that our therapist uh, had a father who was literally, he retired and became everyone's surrogate father. And she, she just said, guy, you need a surrogate father. Here's my father's phone number. You need to call him. You know, you need some help. You need big time help. And so, that was the beginning of a, an amazing relationship with him as a mentor and with our therapist as well. 
Wow. How special is that? That doesn't happen very often. That was a miracle. No, no, it doesn't. Having no, found no. someone, right? But, but you know, as, you, as you're sharing the story, so here you are, this person that obviously, you know, has um, a set perception of how life's supposed to be in, in, a, in a controlled, you know, you're kind of in a controlled behavior and life just didn't show up that way at all for you. And you realize no, no. You, know, you can't control how <laughs> life is going to show up. Right. No. Yeah, and you can kick and scream so. all you want. Right. But it, but it, <laughs> it must've been a, a profound opportunity for you to see the patterns that you were carrying within you. Yes. Yes. And, it was like it the was gift so from your soul. Oh, and, and you know, for me, it, it, the gift is that I could forgive and and then work on myself, and that's kind of the point of my whole book. Is y- you can sit there and say your mother is the witch of the east, but or whoever, and but the fact is, you need to work on you and. You need to see how you're not loving others, and you need to see how the, the, the horrible, you know, inaccurate conclusions you've made about life that you insist come through for you and live with disappointment and love others in spite of, you know, how they disappoint you or whatever it is. And so uh, it was a gift. That's the way it was a gift. And I think this is the real message with any um, situation in life where we feel we've been victimized, right? We have to, uh, if we want to heal, we have to arrive at the place where we own the work that we need to do to heal ourselves and to come from a place of, of, of forgiveness and compassion for the other person because as you shared about your mother's story, your mother was the victim of her childhood and and her parents and her parents and, and her father was, you know, God knows how long that lineage went back, right, of abuse. And mm-hmm. um, the, the ability to uh, have compassion for the trauma that our parents endured that then without the tools that we have, we have the tools. We're blessed. You were blessed. You had the resources um, within yourself as well as financially to get the support you needed for this healing journey. Uh, our mm-hmm. parents often back then didn't have that those resources. They didn't even, you know, therapy, psychotherapy wasn't the in thing, you know, 30, 40 yes. years ago, right? So, um, but this is, you know, this is such an important point because this is our healing journey. This, our parents were just set up in a sense for us to take on the lessons of life. And uh, for me, the point too is, uh, to, to healing is healing. So, and I know that sounds simplistic, but we, if we're not healing, and always looking to heal and to love, then we end up going backwards as we neglect sort of 
how we're interacting with others. And I'll give you a great example. My mother, from the time I can remember, beat into us that rich people were terrible. They're just terrible. They, they don't have good relationships. They're not generous. They're, they are superficial. They uh, you know, are materialistic. And, you know, I don't know where it came from, but that's what she beat into us. And when I, when I met my wife, her, her parents were not that wealthy, but they were much wealthier than we were. And all my, my mother did was criticize them, which drove me away from her. You know, oh, I'm sure they don't have, you know, uh, great relationships. But they are the ones who taught me how to be generous, my wife's parents, how to be truly generous and to, to be generous intentionally. But fast forward all the way to the last six months of my life, if I had not been healing from that, just that trauma, I, I discovered maybe four weeks before my mother died that she orchestrated my high school life not to interact with my best friend because he was wealthy. And I always wondered why I couldn't get the car or I couldn't go out or, you know, she told me I had to do things before I could go out or that why I would miss events going with my friend. His name is Barry. And it, she admitted to me four weeks before that she just didn't think I needed to be interacting with him because he was rich. And I boiled inside, but I realized, you know what, that's her rule to live by, and I'm living the best life I can. And so that's all I can do is learn to love her, and I still have time in my life to go and rekindle my relationship with my friend. You know, I still have that within me. I don't need to sit here and be angry and bitter and blame. But it was still affecting us 56 years later. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And so I, I hope that people can hear that, that you need to really know that you're, you're in the game of healing and loving others uh, at all times. And if you're not, you're not. And you're not healing and you're not loving. And so what are some of the other um, pearls of wisdom, I would say, that you are offering to men if they are in unsatisfying relationships, if they find themselves um, boiling up with more anger, you know, as, as, as a vehicle of expressing emotions? It, it is in my experience, um, more of a challenge for men. Just that male energy is has more of a difficult time accessing emotions as opposed to women. Women are more spiritual and emotional energetically, and men are more mental and physical energetically. That's just the nature of that that gender, that energy, that energy of male. So what mm-hmm. what do you say in your in your books and in your courses? How do you encourage men to recognize that there is something that is getting in the way of them having the ability to get what they want in their relationships, in their life, in their work, in their own self esteem? What what are some of your tips? Some one that I have I think is very uh, 
it's not very typical. And, and it's also for the women who care and love for love uh, men. And that is you need to learn to be self-reflective. Uh, and, and I know that sounds like an easy thing, but I, I don't think men are encouraged to be self-reflective. You know, they're, they're encouraged to be doers. And on, on the outside, sometimes they're part of the problem instead of part of the solution or offered, you know, that sort of thing. And so one is to learn to be self-reflective. And then from that, I think uh, it, it's to have a plan to be the kind of person you want to be and, and that you would respect. And that, that's a term I always use is you, you try to think of the kind of person that you would respect or that you would like to be around and, and, and to think of that. And, you know, from, and, and I, I do that with men on a very concrete level by saying, here's a list of virtues. Which ones do you like? Which ones do you want to see in your life? You know, the definition for me of integrity is practicing those virtues over time consistently and sometimes naturally. You know, that's what integrity is. And so just pick, pick them. You know, I picked generosity and I picked being helpful and those, those are the ones I want to grow in me. And then connect them to your rules to live by. If you can detect those rules to live by. And, you know, I have intense rules to live by, uh, but I make sure, A, that they're not toxic, and B, that they're contributing to my growth in virtue. Uh, that it's, I'm becoming a person that other people would respect and that I would respect. And, you know, you know, that said, I, I, I can give you a really good example. Uh, my mother, I took my family on a vacation. Every one of us, we all went to Delaware to the beach. And she had promised to take my children by car to, the, to my house in North Carolina so I could fly home and do some really intensive work that I needed to. I had a deadline, but I wanted to go on vacation with them. So I, I took all of us, all of my family to the beach, and then she was going to drive them home. And, and she had been complaining about the fact that she, I, do, I don't trust her with my kids and I don't bring my kids. And she was really critical of that. So I thought that was a good solution because, you know, I want to honor my mother and father. And so I arranged for that, and as I'm packing up my kids in her car so I can go to the airport and fly home and have all this extra time to myself, because my wife, by the way, was out of the country, my mother says, oh, we're going to drop you off at the airport eight hours early. We can't go. We and I said, really? And she said, we need to return a leaf blower. Now, she spends years criticizing how I'm arrogant and I embarrassed to be around them and all of this. And so I'm trying to go and do that to be with them and to let them be around my children and all of these things. But she wants to return a leaf blower instead of be with my kids. And I'm fuming. I've had no ticket. My, my daughter was four. My son was one. I had no wife. I'm traveling with two kids. It was pretty humorous. I drive, I, I fly them home. My wife, of course, from Germany, had arranged for 
numbers of babysitters to go so I could finish my work. And in the process, this is way before uh, Amazon, I sent my parents a leaf blower. Now, I could sit there and be angry, but I'm choosing to be generous, and I'm choosing to, be, to restore them to a better relationship to something. Do you understand you just went leaf blower and you chose that over your grandchildren? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But instead, I didn't get I, I was angry. I was angry. We're allowed to be angry. I really think we're allowed to be angry. But I didn't. I just shipped them a leaf blower. So now you don't have to borrow, no, you don't have to borrow one. And, and to me, that I want to be generous. I want to love. And so I can sit there and be toxic, or I can sit here and, be, and, and develop some integrity and some virtue. And so I did. So, Guy, did you do that when you got to the place? Were you able to do that with love and not? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely. (laughs) No, no. It was there was so much spite you couldn't imagine. You could cut it with a knife, man. But I was in North Carolina. They were there. You're still evolving. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But it, it was better than saying, you know, you schleps, you know. <laughs> I, I need it. I really did need that time to work, but it was but, but, what it was. And, and the interesting, but the interesting, you know, as an example like that, when, when something, first of all, I would say your mother is pretty predictable, right? I mean, you don't always mm-hmm. know what's going to come out, but you know the pattern, right? Predictable. Definitively, so yes. The real, the real healing for any of us when we're dealing with anyone that, you know, pushes our buttons is to get to the place where they can say and do the thing that's predictable. You know it's going to happen. You know they're, you know, going to yell or criticize or withdraw or whatever, and get to the place where you can just be with it and not react. Now that is, you know, the goal. You know, I'm learning it. I'm sure a lot of other people are learning. Yes. Because when we do yes. not have that, we're not hooked. If we're not hooked, we're mm-hmm. free. And all we do is let them be right. who they are, and we don't have to react. Because to, to the degree that we react is to the degree that we still have not resolved our hurt and wounds. So it's a you know opportunity to see how far we've come. Maybe a lot. Maybe Absolutely. not very much. Absolutely. You know? and, and in my book, I, I really call that a cycle. After you take ownership of your toxicity and you generate these virtuous rules, you need to jump into life. And my first point in this whole cycle is you need to enjoy the freedom from imprisonment. You know, for me, it was freeing to buy them a a leaf blower, you know. uh, And truly, it's freeing to respond in a different way, knowing that your validity and your sanity and your dependence and everything is not dependent upon this toxic moment. Yeah. It's not. So yeah. enjoy your freedom with these virtuous rules and then welcome healthy input from others, which includes loving others and interacting with them and finding, you know, loving and being loved. And then also uh, develop that integrity and love boldly intentionally. And that's sort of a cycle that puts you into, uh, like you said, a, a total freedom uh, to, to evolve. Yeah, you know, absolutely, and I agree. It is a, it is a, a freedom when we don't get hooked. You know, when we're right. we're not right. reacting 
and uh, right. some old past hurts and wounds, and we can be present, and we can be present mm-hmm. and see what's going on, hear them, but not get into a defensive, reactive place. That is so liberating, right? Because we are, mm-hmm. we're free. I mean, we really are in that present moment again, and not being buffeted by the emotions of others and our interpretation. And, of and I. I give an example in my book that's it's very – I really think that we need concrete definitions and measurements, especially men, to kind of help us, you know, test the waters. And my definition of, of loving boldly is to, you know, to restore a better relationship with that person or themselves or other people – and a very good example of that is that my mother went cray-cray on me one time while my parents were visiting at our house. She literally stole my wife's work from the basement, which was these creative memory pages, you know, to, to do photo albums. And my wife had done mm-hmm. inordinate amount of work and stacked it all into this box. And she brought it up and she said, I want this. And I said, Mom, that's Marie's work. And I've also given you copies of all those pictures anyway, but that's Marie's work. And she said, literally, she said, I'm the matriarch and I want this. You will give it to me. And the glare in her eyes told me she was not going to back down. This is a really bad moment. And (laughs) for me to love boldly at this point is not to love her. She is unlovable. She was unlovable. My job was to love my wife. And so at that point, my wife walks up and she had overheard. And she looked at my wife and she said, I am the matriarch and I want these. I'm taking these. And I looked at my wife, ready to to completely defend her. And she backed down and said, go ahead, Hazel, take them. And but I had already looked at my wife, grabbed her hand, squeezed it, and we both both knew. I'm supporting you whether you want to flip out on my wife. You have every right to. She is cray-cray. Or she's looking at me saying, I love you, whatever you want. And we were restored to a better relationship, not my mother and me, because that was not happening. It was, it, And it didn't happen. My mother walked upstairs without saying another word and put him in her suitcase and there was no other discussion. Uh, but, you know, for me, it was a success because I loved my wife. We were restored to a better relationship trying to to work out this cray-cray of my mother and, and what was going on. We both knew that we were supporting each other no matter what. So for me, that was success. But I wouldn't have done that had I not really had a, a clear definition of it. My mom, piece of work. <laughs> you know what, your mom, and and uh, I say this and to everyone: those that are the greatest um, play the role of the you know the greatest perpetrators of our of our of mm-hmm. our sanity <laughs> are mm-hmm. our greatest teachers. Yes. And to get to that place in life is a very profound moment. And it takes a lot of work to unravel all of those issues. But if we really want to look at this from the highest perspective, the 
you know, the highest frequency, the greatest gift is that we all set up the craziness in our life to learn from, to heal from, and ultimately, as I like to say, it's the soul's journey to come back to the place of compassion and gratitude. And we all have, we all have crazy histories. So what's the good purpose? The good purpose is to learn and heal so we can, as you were sharing so beautifully, stay more and more grounded in a place of peace and love and harmony. Mm-hmm. And that's the soul's journey in this third dimension reality, right? And you had a great teacher. You know, as crazy and yeah. wounded as your mother was, what you took on, what, you know, the wounds you took on, the patterns you took on, and then the journey that initiated for you to be right here in this moment, Guy, sharing your wisdom, helping others, um, just evolving yourself is such a gift of life. Yeah, it, 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 I'm really grateful. And, I, you know, I love the title of your program. I mean, just love code. It's like, why can't we we think about that other than, uh, you know, like I think we're on the money code or the reputation code or the whatever <laughs> code, but how about the love code? Oh, my gosh. Let's just try to love others, whether I, you define it my way or your way or his way or their way. Let's just try to love and, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, for, for me, it's been an adventure, I, I, you know, and it, it does tend – for me to get me involved with people's lives that, that, you know, sometimes have been wrecked or are fragile. Uh, and, uh, but I'm okay with that. I mean, I feel like I'm a magnet and my children always roll their eyes and, and I'm also introverted. So at parties, I'll end up with that one person who, you know, uh, heard I had, you know, written something about toxic mothers and <laughs> that's the person I talked to at the party, but it, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm loving and I'm evolving and I'm doing what I've been designed to do, and that's a gift, as you say. It's a gift. <laughs> you probably know this saying, but it comes to mind. We teach best what we most need to learn. Oh, jeez. That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that's that awesome. great? <laughs> it is. So, you know, you're, I mean, you know, it's a, I have to say, and I'll put it, I'll frame it this way, the work you're doing in the world not only on yourself, but the work you're doing in the world and how much you have helped so many people was the result of the journey you had to take because of that early life experience. If you didn't have that, you would be on a different path. And you're fulfilling your life's purpose, as I see it, because of all that went before you and because of your commitment in that moment of awakening that you choose to take charge of your life rather than feel a victim and move into greater wisdom and strength and power and then be able to share it out in the world as you do when you teach mm-hmm. and in your groups. You know, it's, um, you know, you look back and you just have gratitude in your heart because without uh, yeah. all of that, you wouldn't be here. And I really feel like in my book, I have tried to honor my mother. I mean, my mother, my mother taught me how to cook. She taught me how to sew. Uh, you know, she taught me how to be disciplined. She taught me how to, she taught me a lot of things. And so, you know, uh, it, but it, 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 
I really wanted to honor her in the book and yet give hope for men who are sitting in a position where they're like, why am I feeling this way? Or why can't I not feel this way? You know, <laughs> or just whatever it is. And so uh, hopefully it'll, it'll help more people. Okay, so let's go. We're coming to the end of the show. So first of all, if people want to know more about your work and to order your book, um, first, there's your website. Is now is is the best website your name, GuyRCurie.com? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. GuyRCurie.com. Um, and one of the reasons I am trying to do programs like yours is that my book is not officially published. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to publish it in a traditional fashion, and they say I don't have followers. And so I'm trying to get my message out in, on a broader sense. It's, a new, it's new territory for me, but if that doesn't happen, uh, and, but if you go to my website, you can get on the list, and you'll be abreast of whether it's going to be traditionally published or when it's going to be self-published, uh, it, it will be because I'm already working on my second book, so uh, I, I need to get <laughs> okay. this one out, out of the Well, way. everyone should should learn more about you and your wisdom and your book, and um, I just want to spell your name so everyone knows that it's Guy, sure. G-Y, do you say Arcuri? Is that the correct pronunciation? Yes. A-R-C-U-R-I.com. So it's GuyRCurie.com. Check out Guy's work. I'm sure there's great information on your website, Guy. And meanwhile, you can be gathering more support and followers so you have everything you need to get this book out into the world. Well, we'll see. It's, it's really fun. It's really fun to make the con- those sorts of connections instead of just local ones or just being invited. It's kind of out there altogether. So that's very uh, fun for me to see that I'm inspiring some people out there somewhere. So that's good. Oh, yes, absolutely you are. So um, it's just been a pleasure to have you on the show. We've been talking with Guy R. Curie. Go to his website, GuyRCurie.com. He is the author of soon-to-be-released Toxic Mothers, The Son's Guide to Healing and Moving on Really Important Work. Guy, it's been a pleasure having you with us today and uh, wishing you all the best. Thanks. I love your program. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And to all of you listening, thanks again. We've come to the end of the show. So remember to fill your love. I'm sorry, fill your week with love, peace, and harmony.